Hello, this is Search for Truth. I'm John Martin, introducing your weekly Bible study. It's brought to you by the Churches of God in the Fellowship of Jesus Christ. And we have, as usual, our well-known Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. We're looking together at the subject of the saltiness of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. And today's talk is called Something Long-Lasting. So I'll hand you now to Brian, who will explain. Thanks, John. I'll do my best to explain it. In this series, we're picking up on the fact that God had given the instruction that sacrifices in the Old Testament were to be offered with salt. He'd said, with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. That's Leviticus chapter 2. It's probably true that to us, salt is a common household or at least a common kitchen commodity or ingredient, so common, in fact, that we might tend to dismiss this interesting biblical association or at least ignore the significance of what it's telling us. So let's begin today by reminding ourselves of how the usefulness of salt was discovered in ancient times. Evidence of the impact of salt on human civilization spans recorded history. Early settlements were at salt springs. Caravans trekked across deserts trading salt ounce for ounce with gold. Many cultures share traditions such as offering bread and salt to welcome visitors. The economic significance of salt led to trading partnerships, or alternatively, to armed combat in past civilizations. Cultures ranging from the Sahara in West Africa to the Himalayan peaks of Nepal still allow us to glimpse back into the salt-trading culture of centuries gone by. Medieval Europe actually changed when fishermen were able to add salt to the cod that they caught off North America's Grand Banks. This allowed them to preserve the fish for sale in Europe. In other words, salt became an important food preservative. And it's that last-mentioned use that I particularly want to share with you today as something relevant to our study. While we want bacteria to decompose dead animals and plants that die in the forest, we don't want bacteria to decompose those animals and plants which we plan to eat. The bacteria that so efficiently get rid of dead organisms can also cause disease if people eat rotting food, especially rotting meat. Although the way in which salt keeps, say, meat from decaying wasn't understood until the early 1800s, people had learnt by experience that salt helped them store food for long periods of time. This was obviously important in places where winters are long and fresh food isn't available all year round, or in humid places where food spoiled quickly. In arid climates, food can be preserved by drying, but where the humidity is higher, bacteria can rapidly destroy stored food. Even where food can be stored in ice during a winter, it quickly rots when it thaws in the spring. Salt, which is toxic in high concentrations to food-spoiling bacteria, has long been used as a preservative. So it has a clear association with the idea of something being long-lasting. Does that hint at another reason, I wonder, why God gave the instruction that there should always be salt added to the sacrificial offerings? Remember how we've seen an example of that from something that's recorded in Ezekiel chapter 43. A young bull without blemish and a ram without blemish from the flock. You shall present them before the Lord and the priests shall throw salt on them and they shall offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. 
Of course, we say again, all those sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed forward to the one great sacrifice of Christ in the New Testament. But did their saltiness, in terms of the added salt, did the saltiness of the sacrifices long ago not also serve to indicate the enduring, the lasting effect of the death of Christ? This is the major difference, of course, between the sacrifices of Old Testament times and the sacrifice of Christ. Old Testament sacrifices had to be repeated again and again, year after year. There was no lasting value to them, for it was impossible for them to put away sins. In them there was a passing over of sins, but only the one sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus Christ, could actually put away sin. He came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 says. I sometimes think of it this way. It's like when we write a cheque to pay for goods. The cheque is a piece of paper that makes the promise that our bank will pay the other person's bank the exact amount of money that we owe them. We hand it over and we shake hands. The deal is done and we take immediate possession of our purchase. But in a sense, we still haven't actually paid for it yet. We've only handed over a piece of paper in exchange. We can write many, many cheques in a single day. And some people do. People who don't have sufficient funds in their bank to cover them all. And they're only caught out when the cheques reach the clearing bank. The person receiving the cheques in payment is happy until his bank informs him that the cheques have not been honoured due to insufficient funds belonging to the person who gave him the cheques in the first place. Now think of the Old Testament sacrifices as being like cheques. Just as a cheque is a mere piece of paper, the sacrifices in themselves were really worthless. But they did have value because God commanded them. And this value lay in what they represented. They pointed forward to, they in a sense promised the coming of Christ as the ultimate sacrifice. The letter to the Hebrews says about Christ in chapter 9 verse 15 that he is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions which were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So, Old Testament sins were also finally paid for at the cross where Jesus died. They'd only been passed over by means of the offering of animal sacrifices previously. When Christ died, it was as if all the checks hit the clearing bank. And from that sacrifice of infinite worth on the cross of Calvary, full payment was finally made. Christ's is the only sacrifice that can take away sins, and it does that forever. That's the point. New Testament writers certainly emphasise that Christ's one sacrifice of himself remains effective forever. It has a lasting effect. It doesn't need repetition. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews speaks of Jesus in chapter 7 verse 27, saying he does not daily need like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Notice how the death of Jesus Christ for the sins of the people is described as a once-for-all sacrifice. 
We find the same thing again in chapter 10 of Hebrews, saying, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The death of God's Son was his final answer to the human problem of sin. In our previous talk on the saltiness of the sacrifice of Christ, we were talking about value or worth. The point that we need to add to that today is that we're talking about the fact that there's lasting value in the death of Christ. The blood that cleanses us from sin will never lose its effectiveness. Once cleansed, we're cleansed forever. The power in the blood is an everlasting power. It's the blood that makes and keeps us clean permanently. The Apostle Peter tells us in his first chapter that we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The implication there, where Peter talks about the blood of Christ in contrast to perishable things, is that the blood of Christ is imperishable. This is the aspect of the saltiness of Christ's sacrifice that we praise God for today. Nothing can spoil the fruits of Christ's victory over sin at the cross. God's provision for our need will never lose its freshness. All the spiritual blessings obtained for believers in the Lord Jesus at the cross are preserved eternally. Yes, everything God does will remain forever. Hallelujah. Thanks, Brian, for your talk. If you've been following these talks over the last few weeks and you've made the decision to become a Christian, please let us know. It gives us great encouragement to know the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart to put faith in Christ. And if you're already a believer, why not share your conversion story with us anyway? We'd love to hear from you. And a reminder once again, there's a free transcript booklet for this series. If you'd like one sent to you, or more for group study, Ask for the title, Salt. 
And if you're using the post, here's our address: Search for Truth, P.O. Box nine three three four, Leicester, L.E. forty one nine F.Y. England, and the email address is sft at churchesofgod dot info. You can also find some past programs and helpful material on our website. Just go to www dot searchfortruth.org.uk So it's been a privilege to have you with us once again. I hope you'll be able to join us next week for the third part in our present subject. But until then, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our studio technician David, our musicians, and me, John. Goodbye for now, and may God richly bless you. Hello.